of 2 Chronicles 20 through uh, verses 14 through 19. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benai, the son of Jeel, the son of Matani, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from Kohathites and Koriah stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So we... uh, as a form of discipline, we always put our troublemakers up to read those. We <laughs> need more, nor more uh, Bethany troublemakers in our church. Oh, man, good job, Bethany. I tell you, that, like I said, that last two is what gets me. You said that 20 times fast. Father, we love you. We thank you this morning for your spirit. We thank you for just being all across this campus and uh, on the live stream. We thank you for your anointing and your grace. Thank you for this beautiful season in our church. Father, just um, looking across the room and seeing people pray for one another. People are moving in new seasons of their life. We just take a moment and we just invite your presence here. We ask that during this time that you would just really minister. Father, it is your word, it is through the hearing of your word that brings faith. And so, Father, we ask for faith this morning, faith for the things that you're asking us to step out in. I'm under no illusions this morning that we all have it figured out. I'm under no illusions that there are people here that are not really dealing with like a serious issue. It's just underneath everything else. While we are in our Sunday best, there's still things that are going on in our life that we need answers to, things that we're looking to overcome, roadblocks that have been set up on our way, God, and it is through faith, God, in you, trust in you, that those things break. So Lord, we, we open up our hearts this morning to hear your word. Lord, just test us, reprove us, challenge us, God, speak to us, correct us, minister to us, love on us. And let your kindness move us closer to that future version of who you've called us to be. Father, we love you deeply. Calm us now into a quietness that heals and listens. Open wounded hearts to the balm of your word. Speak to us in clear tones, Holy Spirit, so that we might feel our spirits leap for joy and skip with hope. Because we are your resurrection witnesses. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, amen. 
Um, we're going to continue with our, our wisdom, listening to the Holy Spirit during Turbulent Times series. Um, I've been getting a lot of feedback and having a lot of conversations. I'm going to lean into something this morning that um, I, I have to admit has, has become what I feel like is a foundational truth in my life. Not just something that, um, I, there are times where I have to touch on subjects that I'm, I'm leaning into myself trying to learn and grow. And by all means, I'm not saying that I've mastered this, but what I can share with you this morning is that this is something that through the last, I don't know, maybe 15 years, the Lord has consistently been trying to teach me and grow me in on a consistent basis, especially as I have uh, led this church, uh, led my family and just really just try to live as a Christian um, in just like crazy, crazy times. But really it is how to trust the Lord, how to really trust the Lord, how to have him as a foundation and a base um, in everything that you do. If you're here with us for the very first time, it's really good to have you. We are really blessed and honored if you're back. Uh, this is second or third time. It's really good to have you. I got a couple of announcements before I get started into this that uh, Brenda has put on my thing here. Um, we have alpha invitations. Please continue to invite. We've had nine guests that have been coming and it's been really sweet to see what God's been doing. A lot of really incredible conversations. If you're part of the alpha team, can I see your hand? Just slip your hand in the air. Um, prayer team, anything along those lines. Listen, we love you. Thank you so much for serving and faithfully just giving of your time. Um, everybody in the house is next week. Everybody in the house is next week. Um, and so we're excited about that. We're excited about the opportunity. For those of you that don't know what that is, uh, we'll do it every once in a while. We haven't done it in a few years, but we'll do it every once in a while. And we basically have the same amount of time service-wise, but we'll set up some tables. We'll have an extended relational break, and we'll give uh, just an opportunity for people to have a little bit of a light brunch while at the same time uh, meeting some new people and just having a little bit more encouragement. We've got a lot of new people in the church um, and we want you guys just to be able to meet with each other. And then the last one here, I don't know if it's an announcement for me or if it's for you, but it says it's for me. Oh, it says have fun. Um, so um, everybody have fun. Can we do that this morning? All right. Second Chron Chronicles chapter 20, 14 through 19. Uh, Bethany did a really good job reading this, so I'm not going to go back and read it. <laughs> good leadership's delegation. Um, but as you can see here, this is probably one of my favorite stories in Scripture. What's going on here is Jehoshaphat has decided to become one of those kings that tears down the altars that have set themselves up against God. He's a man of God. And anytime you start tearing down altars in your own life, anytime that you start to teach or lead or, or really create an environment where altars that have set themselves against God start to tear down, you're always going to have warfare. Jehoshaphat is a man of God. He is pursuing the Holy Spirit. He's going after and he's trying to lead his people well. So the enemy hates that, and what he does is he agitates a bunch of other kingdoms against him, and a ton of armies raise up. I mean, uh, theologians talk about back in that day that literally there was, if you were to mass this army in one big field, all you would see was just people and people and people and people and people. So all of these people were coming against Jehoshaphat, okay? Now, what you could do is you could equate that to um, your mortgage lender. <laughs> you could equate that to whatever enemy that you have in your life that seems like it is massive and, and very difficult to overcome. Jehoshaphat is looking out and he's got uh, just this army of people that are coming against him. 
And how many would agree with me if you're talking about your family being destroyed, you being destroyed, the kingdom, and everything that you love being destroyed, it gets serious really quick, okay? So Jehoshaphat's in this scenario, and he's dealing with it, and he's really struggling with how to move forward, what to do. Obviously, you've got a ton of voices that are speaking to him. He's probably got a ton of people saying, hey, you should make a truce with these people. You should, you know, uh, we should uh, reinforce the altars of Baal again. Uh, You should know better. There's probably a lot of people that are saying, I told you so. There's probably a ton of people that say, no, we should fight. He's probably got a ton of people in his ear And then the voice of the Lord speaks. And how many would agree with me? Out of every voice that we hear, everything that goes on in our life, the most important voice to any other voices is the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of God. And so the Lord speaks to him and he says, you will not have to fight this battle. So take up your position, stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you. Okay. Now here's the thing. One of the things that's been helpful for me over the years is to try to understand God's character. If I can understand God's character, then I can understand everything else that basically falls from that. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit is constantly trying to teach us, and as a church right now, this is the thing that the Lord is trying to teach JCT, our community, is we have to learn how to fight. We have to learn how to fight. Okay. Um, and if you've ever been in a fight, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, 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 most people don't know how to do it. Everybody seen a, like a seventh, uh, a middle school fight, you know, they're just kind of like, come on, man, come on, you come, no, you come on, you know, just kind of going back and forth at each other. And then they start, um, fighting and then they end up on the ground and it's just a scuffle and the teachers come. It looks nothing like the fights that you see in the movies. Nothing all like the fights that you see in the movies. The fights are all coordinated and choreographed in the whole nine yards. But that's the, the thing that the Lord wants to teach us is learning how to fight. How do we fight our battles? Judges, you see, uh, I don't have time to get into it, but the Bible is very clear when it says that God left enemies in the land so that he could teach a generation that did not know how to fight how to fight. Okay, so here's what I know. Every single one of you, every single one of you, every single one of us, including the man up here, has a battle. Every one of us have a battle right now, okay? And some of you, as I'm saying it, you're thinking about your battle right now. You're thinking about the thing that you have to overcome. You're thinking about whatever it is, whether it's a sin, whether it's an insecurity, whether it's a fear, any of those things. And here's the thing. We're going to talk about how the enemy tries to use those things against us to keep us from fighting and and walking in the things that he's called us to walk in. But every one of us has a battle that we have to face. So scripturally, we know this, that the enemy has devices, he has traps, and he has tools that he uses against God's people, okay? We know that. And here's what we look at, and we can see this in 2 Corinthians. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth, and it's found in 2 verses 9 through 11. And it says this, another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Then he goes on and he says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive And what I have forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, okay? Then he goes on and he says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Okay, we are not unaware of his schemes. So what he's saying is, what, what, he, what Paul was actually talking about here was there was a, a, a lot of unforgiveness that had cropped up within the church and it was trying to divide the church body. 
Paul's writing them and saying, hey, do not let this unforgiveness cause divisions among you because that's exactly what the enemy wants is he wants you to be divided. He wants you to have a ton of unforgiveness in your heart. He wants you to operate and fight the battle the way he wants you to fight the battle. If you pick that up, then we all lose. And here's what he's saying. He goes, listen, I have forgiven them. And even if I literally haven't felt like forgiving them, I have forgiven them for Christ's sake. I've given them because Jesus has asked me to forgive them. So here are three big devices or tools or traps that the enemy uses in order to cause us to trip or fail or get into a place in our relationship with God where we would, uh, quote unquote, become shipwrecked in our faith. And you go, well, I'm not necessarily shipwrecked in my faith where it, walked, where it talks about walking away from your faith. That's not abandoning your faith. Shipwrecked in your faith is being stuck on the rocks and not being able to get unstuck. It's the ability of being stuck in the same thing, same uh, conversations, same stuff, the same cycles in your marriage, the same cycles in your finances, the whole nine yards, shipwrecked in your faith. Okay? The first one is the enemy loves to isolate us. He loves isolation. He loves to isolate us, okay? And I've heard it said there is no better party than a pity party. (laughs) He loves to isolate us, okay? So what he tries to do is he tries to get us all alone by ourselves and tries to get us to think that we're the only person that is dealing with this particular issue. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. So he tries to just isolate us, push us off into a corner and get us really outside the community, outside the house of God, outside of fellowship. He tries to get us away from people that are talking to us or speaking to us a truth. He tries to get us isolated, okay? Suzanne Whitlock says it like this. She said, your relationship with God is the thing the enemy fears most, knowing it alone has the power to crush his evil kingdom, okay? So our relationship with, with the Lord is always what the enemy goes after, Okay, so here's the thing that I've noticed as a pastor, and this is just me sharing my heart and just me loving on you pastorally, me, like not me coming at anybody here because that's, that's not really my heart this morning. But what I've noticed is whenever the Lord is moving in our lives and we know that things are really like we, we start to head into a, a really beautiful direction and you start to take ground, the enemy is going to attack that. Okay, he will not let you take ground without coming at you. Okay. Now here's usually what ends up happening is we'll usually end up, if we're not careful, we'll make a truce with the enemy and go, whoa, I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you alone if you leave me alone. And, and the enemy goes, okay, perfect. Okay. But I'm not going to leave you alone, even though you think I'm going to leave you alone. I'm going to keep taking from you. Okay. So the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay. So what ends up happening a lot of times is right before we have our biggest breakthrough, right before we step off the ledge into what God has for us, we literally go, whoa, I'm I'm backing away and I'm not doing that anymore. Okay. There's a season of isolation that happens. Okay. And there are times where God will lead us into isolation, seasons of wilderness, desert. We've talked about that before. I've shared that in other uh, sermons. You can go back and listen to that on the podcast. This isolation is different. This is induced by the enemy and it usually always comes through your thoughts. 
So what ends up happening with a God-induced isolation is that the presence of God comes over your life and he leads you into a new season to where you're in community, you're loving people, the presence of God is speaking over you and ministering to you, things are happening in beautiful ways, your thought life is, is literally right in place, but you just may still feel isolated. That's how you know that God's doing something new. Whenever you start to get isolated by the enemy, he uses your thought life and your mindsets to isolate you. No one knows what I'm going through. No one understands what I'm going through. Nobody cares. Okay? I'm not good enough for this. No one wants me. That's how you know the voice of the enemy is speaking. Why? Because God's character is the exact opposite of that. So anytime you start to hear things in your mind, anytime, anytime you start to hear self-talk that goes against the character of God, you immediately know the enemy's working on me to get me to, to lay down what it is that he has called me to walk into. So it's isolation. So this is what ends up happening. So we get isolated. And here's what happens when we get isolated. Crazy things happen when we get isolated. Scary things, man. Scary things happen when we get isolated. So we start to pull away, and when we start to pull away, it gets worse. And then what ends up happening is we pull away, and then we get on social media, and everybody else isn't pulling away, and they're having fun, and we're over here, hmm. And it makes everything worse, okay? Now, how do you get out of isolation? How do you get out of isolation? Is that you... You develop a deep value for being called out when you're starting to step into isolation. And you go, oh, no, no, man, I don't want that, you know. I, I don't want that. But a, long, a long time ago, like, so because well, here's what happens. Isolation ends up becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, okay? So when the very, church very first started, um, on, my, on my plant team, there was a guy who, man, just really started to get worked in this area. And um, he would come in and say, no one wants to hang out with me. And I would say, well, what do you mean? Like, you're, you're, in, you're in the middle of people all the time. And he's like, yeah, but no one wants to hang out with me. And I'd be like, well, why? And he would go, I don't know. I, I'm awesome. I don't know why people wouldn't want to hang out with me. <laughs> Seriously. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to kind of sit and hang out and, and see what's going on. And um, we went out to dinner one time after one of our plant team meetings and we're just sitting around and we're just having fun and people are laughing and just enjoying each other. And in the middle of this time of having fun and enjoying, you could just see like he was just like literally getting more and more bitter and more and more angry. Like he'd just been sucking on sour lemons and he just asked the group, he goes in the middle of everybody laughing. So why is it you guys don't like me? And I was like, oh man. It made sense. It made sense. Now, here's the beautiful part about it. I didn't go, hey, this guy, we're going to throw him away. This guy doesn't get it. He'll never get it. Let's get this guy out. So I pulled him aside and said, listen, let me tell you something. Start serving these people. Start loving them. Start telling them that you're praying for them. Start fighting for them. And the next time everybody's having fun, Resist every urge in your soul to throw a wet blanket on it. <laughs> Guess what? He ended up moving away, and everybody preemptively threw a party for him because they hated to see him go. 
So here's the thing. No matter what the enemy is telling you, I promise you getting isolated, getting more angry, doing this right here is causing people to go, whoa. You know what I'm saying? How you break that isolation is being able to say, I am going to stop throwing a pity party for myself and I am going to invest in other people. I am going to find someone else that is on the outside and love on them. I am going to, that's how you break the isolation. But more importantly than that, that's how you look at the enemy and say, I refuse to give in to your devices and allow you to uh, keep, uh, to push me back into things that God has not called me into. I am a son or daughter of God and I'm going to step into that birthright. And if you don't like it, you've got to get over it. The second thing is, believe it or not, low self-esteem. Let's look at this from David Siemens. This last couple of weeks has just been so encouraging, has it not? Talking about flesh last week. Anyway, many Christians, I love you. That's why we're doing this. Many Christians find themselves defeated by the most psychological weapon that Satan uses against them. This weapon has the effectiveness of a deadly missile. Its name, low self-esteem. Satan's greatest psychological weapon is a gut-level feeling of inferiority, inadequacy, and low self-worth. This feeling shackles many Christians in spite of wonderful spiritual experiences and knowledge of God's Word. Although they understand their position as sons and daughters of God, they are tied up in knots, bound by a terrible feeling of inferiority, and chained to a deep sense of worthlessness. Now, how many are thankful this morning that Jesus died. So that does not have to be our story. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, take the, the, the person that's full of pride, the most self-aggrandizing person that you can think of, the biggest self-promoter, the guy that's just full of himself. And then you take the person over here that is self-loathing and completely down on themselves. And guess what? They both have the same idol, and that is self-centeredness. So every single time that you put yourself in the center of the story as opposed to Jesus, you're going to operate in one of those two. Okay? And here's the thing. God wants you to break out of that wants you to break out of that, like completely break out of that. And some of us have been told from very young that we're not any good. Or some of us have been told that we're not as good as our sister or not as good as our brother or we remind our our parents of their father or whatever it may be. And so what ends up happening is we operate out of that low self-esteem our entire life, not believing that God has more for us. Guys, there, there is a ton of things that I can help do in, in the sense of growing your spirituality. I can, I can shepherd and steward and hire incredible staff. We can do all of those things. But the one thing that I cannot do is for you to fully believe God's promises for yourself. I mean, everything else. Everything else I can help you with. I can, I can help you in that area. I can teach you. I can show you all those kind of things. But the one thing that you have to do for yourself is to believe those promises. Okay, let's look at it this way. Um, Josh, you got you. Do you have your sunglasses? Bring them here, buddy. I knew Josh had his sunglasses. Can I can I wear them for a second, buddy? 
can I have the privilege and honor? Dude, I love you, Josh Piper, so much. All right. I feel the need, the need for speed. Okay. In the silliness of this, don't lose my point. The perspective that we have, the lens in which we look through, changes everything. Okay? So if you believe that you're not worthy, that will be the lens in which you see everything through. Everything through. Okay? If, if you believe that God's promises are not true, that's the lens in which you see everything If you believe that people are out against you all the time, that's the lens in which you see everything through. That's the perspective. So the reason why we take the time, man, I could actually preach in these, man. This is pretty (laughs) legit. It actually keeps this line. The reason why we have to get God's word is because whatever you are rooted in will be the perspective in which you live your life out of. So it's why the enemy is constantly trying all the time to deceive us, to get us to put on the wrong perspective. Okay? So it's this idea. Okay? Thank you, Josh. I appreciate that. Let's look at it this way. Uh, Matt and Dan, come help me real quick. Okay? Matt, you you get a partner this week. I'm moving this uh, thing, guys, live stream. I'm sorry. All right, now listen. I'm a very fragile man, so don't hurt me, okay? Okay, lock my feet down. Do not let me move. Lock my feet down and do not let me move. Okay. Okay, okay, that's good, okay. I, I I actually can't move, okay? Now look. I'm rooted in place. I'm not going anywhere, okay? Thanks, guys. I appreciate that, okay? (laughs) Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. I'm rooted in place, okay? Now, that can either be a root, now hear me, or that can be a snare. That can either be a root or that can be a snare. The difference is Am I rooted in the truth of God's word? Or am I bound up and snared by the lie of the enemy? Okay, that, that, is, that is the, and now if you're asking, okay, what, why is this important? Because guys, at the root of all of your battles is going to be that perspective. Okay, so either I'm, I'm 100% rooted, like just rooted, okay? So immovable, immovable. Okay, I don't even know why I'm doing this, but wind blowing, okay? <laughs> I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of Psalms 1, okay? <laughs> I'm not just dancing. I'm thinking of Psalms 1. <laughs> wind is blowing, okay? Things are, things are going on, all right? Stuff is happening. What, what's, what is I am immovable because my root systems, I'm deeply rooted in God. Okay, now why is this important? You hear bad news, you get troubled by something. If you are snared, fear instantly comes out. If you're rooted, 
trust immediately comes out. Now, let me ask you a question. Which one do you want to live your life in? Now, now this is what I learned a long time ago. That's why I was saying this is a lesson for me. Every time something went down, every time the the county called, every time uh, we got literally just fought every battle on this property, every time something happened with the church, every time the IRS, this, whatever, whatever, I realized, this is me just being honest with you, that I was more snared in my belief in God. I mean, I'd sit on that front row, man. I'd worship. I'd quote scriptures. But then the moment something would happen, I would go away from looking at God and immediately look at my circumstances. And what that revealed to me was I had a big time trust issue and I had a big time idolatry issue. So the moment that you find yourself hearing any kind of news, do I immediately go into the trust and the character of God? Now, once again, we talked about fear last week. Fear in itself is not a sin. Feel the fear. Believe God anyway, okay? So what I'm saying is, do I immediately move into that trust? Because here's the thing. If you have security, for example, as a major issue for you, anytime a financial issue pops up and you're not rooted in God, you're off to the races when it comes to anxiety and fear, okay? And so this is how the enemy wins because how many have ever started out with a simple thought and then it spins out into a bigger, deeper thought, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's like you have a, um, your toes hurting and then you go on WebMD and the next thing you know, you have a rare disease that only one in 1000 people have. Does that make sense? (laughs) That's kind of how the enemy works. I mean, it's the best way to think about it. You know, it's like, man, my family's going to fail. God's nowhere around. Where are you, God? What's going on? And all you got was a late notice from Spectrum. (laughs) Does that make sense? So what I'm trying to get you to see here is if you, if you can grab a hold of this and go, no, then not only you will not be someone who just walks through life and sleepwalks through your relationship with God, you will be someone who consistently takes ground for the Lord. You'll be someone who leaves something for your kids. You'll be someone who leaves something for your grandkids and your great-grandkids. You'll leave a spiritual legacy. Why? Because you refuse to allow the enemy to dictate to you who you are and your inheritance, which God has already given you. Okay, this is why, man, this is so important. The last one that he uses, okay, and then we're going we're gonna to wrap up, is discouragement. Okay, discouragement. The nature of the enemy's warfare in your life is to cause you to become discouraged and to cast away your confidence. Not that you would necessarily discard your salvation, but you could give up your hope of God's deliverance. The enemy wants you numb into a coping kind of Christianity that has given up hope of seeing God's resurrection power. So the thing is with with church, what I realize, I have to love you through your numbness and believe that God's spirit is going to cause you to come alive. I love you through your numbness. Through my numbness. Will you love me through my numbness when I feel numb? Okay? Because we all have those seasons. So this isn't a, a season of good and bad. This is where we go through these seasons. But the question here is that I want to leave with you is who are you letting sit at your table? Who are you letting sit at your table? Second Corinthians, uh, Chronicles 20 and 15. 
Let's look at the crux of the matter. Let's go back to our main scripture here. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, exclamation point, okay? You know what I'm saying? How many use exclamation points a lot in text, okay? Guys, just pro tip, not every text, don't send me, because you guys are going to do this. I know, <laughs> never mind, I'm not going to finish that thought. All right. Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, exclamation point. He was saying this with boldness. He wasn't saying, hey, guys, I've been wrong before. He was saying, listen. And he was saying it to the king. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. Here's the thing I want you to see. For the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. So who are you letting sit at your table? Okay. And a couple of counselors here, you know, and they don't even have to be physical people, but that self-talk, who are you? I'm never good enough. I'm not good enough. Who am I to go for? Man, if I go to the altar today, who's going to think this? Okay. You're letting people sit at your table and only be at your table. And only let people sit at your table that are reinforcing the voices that God is trying to tell you, the thing he's trying to tell you. And you've heard me say many times, we cannot afford to think thoughts about ourselves that God doesn't think about us. We can't do that. Okay, so you got these, these people, these voices, okay? So let me practically answer this because I know this is going to be the question for the week. So if the battle belongs to the Lord, how do I know what's my responsibility and what is his responsibility? Uh, and that really a lot of times the question, okay? To back this up scripturally, in Ephesians 6, 12 through 13, it says this, for our struggles not against flesh and blood. Okay, so I talked about this last week. Matt's up here, okay? I love Matt deeply. Matt's a really good man. He's struggling with some things. Okay, I realize there's always something spiritual behind that. Church folk do not like to hear that, man. They really don't because it, it, it just... It means that we're part of a bigger story. And when there, there's principalities and spirits and all of those things involved, people usually go, oh, this stuff's not real. It's real. It's very real. Okay. And we got to be, be honest and conscious of that fact. Okay. You, you need to be conscious and honest of that fact in your family. Okay. So we don't, I'm not wrestling with Matt. Let's say Matt's coming against me. I'm not wrestling with Matt, but I'm wrestling with what's behind that. So anytime there's strife. So this is what he's saying. This is what Paul's saying. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Matt, but against the rulers, the authorities, powers of dark that would, uh, the world against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. This stuff. Okay? So this is why we declare things in worship. This is why we pray things. This is why when we leave, we say we're the head and not the tail. We're the first, not the last. Why? Because we're pushing back on these spiritual forces, these things that we live in. And every city has them. You go to New York. You go to Tampa. You go to London. All of these different. You go to Seminole Heights. You go to Hyde Park. All of these different principalities. There are things that are all different and difficult and, and just things that you have to pray through. We're not ignorant of his devices. Okay? But then he goes on, he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God, root yourself 
in the things of God, okay? Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And here's how he answers it. And after you have done everything to stand, okay? So we use a million examples and analogies, but here is, here's the practical. Do what you can do and then turn the rest over to the Lord, okay? So let's just say that I, I have a financial issue and I have a credit card. I've used this analogy before and I just keep spending money, okay? Now, what I mean by the battle belongs to the Lord is what is the practical part of that? If I'm struggling financially, then I need to go, okay, where's my spending at? Okay, and stop spending. I can't just say, well, this, this credit card battle belongs to the Lord. <laughs> I would agree with it. It'd be a beautiful way to fight some fights, man. And listen, I, I don't have time to go for that. Okay. The, the process of that is me doing what I know that I need to do, okay? So here's the thing. What I know that I can do is I can get up early in the morning and I can pray. I can work out and take care of myself physically. I can eat right, okay? I can very easily send a text to my wife and say, you're the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen in the history of beauty, okay? I can do those things. Those things are easy to do. I can spend time with my daughter and love on her. I can go to her games. I can show up. I can be available. There are a lot of things that I can do, okay? So for me, practically, what ends up happening is I ask these three things. What's out of order that needs to be put back in order? Okay? What's out of order? Because here's the thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. God is a God of order. Okay, so he literally told them all the way down to the fabric count how they were to build out the temple. Okay, so God is a God of order. Okay, so how many people are like me? You cannot do any work in your office unless it's clean. How many of the exact opposite? You haven't picked up your office in years. You don't even know that there is a desk under your desk. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Okay, get your life in order. <laughs> but bring order. Okay, so what I'm saying here is are things spiritually in order? Sometimes you do need to clean the office, okay? But are things spiritually in order? Okay, so the Bible is very clear. He will not hear my prayers if I have aught toward my wife. And that's about the response I thought I was going to get on that. Okay, so if me and my wife are out of order, I got to get that in order. If I have aught toward my brother, Matt, I have to go and walk across. You can, guys, let me tell you something. You can get on here and you could weep until literally there's a spot on the floor right here. And if you have ought towards your brother, God will not hear your prayer. Okay. I was like, no, no, he, you don't know how hard I weep. It doesn't matter. There is a, an order to things. So you, you get ready to step out and leave a job, leave it in order. Well, you don't know how bad they treated me. I get it. One time I got literally, I learned this lesson the hard way. I was working at Kmart and I was the seasonal associate that was over the seasonal department. And in all truth, the woman was really hard to deal with. 
So I left in the middle of my shift. I was like, I'll show them. I got home. My dad said, what are you doing here? And I said, they treated me bad. They quit. He took me, put me in the car, drove me back to Kmart and made me apologize to her. She was gone, so I didn't have to do it. (laughs) So God's grace is real, folks. (laughs) But here's the thing. God is not mocked. So young communicators ask me all the time, do you have a problem talking about money? No. You get that in order. Man, God's going to bless you. It's just his character. Do you have a problem talking about intimacy and our sex lives? No. I mean, it's always weird to talk about that stuff. But if you love your people, you get that in order. God blesses it. Do you have a problem talking about spiritual authority because you think it's going to come back to you? No. Because I don't care about that. What I care about you is understanding how beautiful it is and the things that it unlocks in your life. Because when you walk in order, every God goes, that's somebody I can bless. So you got to get your thought life in order. There's obviously a lot we could talk about this. Second thing is, what patterns or habits need to break? What patterns or habits need to break? Okay? And that's something between you and the Lord. And then the last one is, what mindsets of mine are just stinky? (laughs) And the reason why I use the word stinky is because when I would say something dumb, my mentor would always say that's stinking thinking. What are just sometimes just stinking thinking? Because no matter how skilled you are, and no matter how much money you have, you can't overcome stinking thinking. Okay? The Holy Spirit will break those things out of your life. Okay? And what's the reason for these devices? Why, what is his whole goal? The whole goal of the, the, the enemy using isolation, low self-esteem, and discouragement is because he just wants you to give up. And what do you mean by give up? I'm not talking about not going to church. I'm not talking about giving up on your faith. What I'm talking about is giving up on the things that God has called you and only you to step into. Just get you to give up. Just give up and just stop believing and stop trusting and stop having a sense of hope about a lot of these things. He just wants you to give up. Why? The enemy cannot take from you what God gave you. Now, please hear me. This is important. He cannot take what God has given you. It's not his to take. But what he can do is get you so distracted and so focused on everything else to where you just don't even want to deal with it. You just give up on it. Now, if the enemy could steal it, the Bible's very clear he goes around like a roaring lion. He didn't say he goes around and is a roaring lion. He cannot steal what God has. So he has given you and you and you and you and me and everyone around us something that's beautiful. 
30, 60, 90 fold. I don't know what that is, but he's given you something beautiful. And on top of all of that, a legacy for your kids and your kids' kids. So he wants you to get so snared up and so caught up that you cannot move into anything else that he has for you. So bound up. And so what ends up happening, you come here and the worship team is encouraging you to break out. The teaching is encouraging you to break out. And what we're trying to do is get you to believe for just a second that God's word is true. Get you to believe for just a moment that some of these things are even possible. Because once that happens, you never go back. You never go back. And let me end with this. If you've never been a group of, a part of a group of a church, a community full of free people, you're literally missing, I think, what's one of the best things in the kingdom of God on this side of heaven. Because you get around a bunch of free people and it's beautiful. How many have loud families? I have a very loud family. You get it full of church, full of free people. It gets loud. You get a church full of free people. There's no negative self-talk. They won't let you. You get around a church full of free people and you go, man, I'll never X whatever. They'll slap hands on you <laughs> in a heartbeat. Why? They'll tell you a story about what God did for them 20 years ago that you won't care anything about. But they believe it so much it causes you to believe it. Does that make sense? That's the kind of spirit we're trying to develop in this church. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. We're just going to spend some time in prayer this morning, and uh, we're just going to we're going to worship for uh, just a few moments.